Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, a warning from our old buddy George. Binge Mode contains adult content, much like Game of Thrones, the series adapted from my novels, A Song of Ice and Fire. If you have read the novels or have watched the show, then you're probably okay. Come join us on the Cinnamon Wind. It's time for Binge Mode. And how many people will die to make this happen? If it comes to that, they will have died for a good reason. Those men think they're dying for a good reason? Someone else's reason. So your reasons are true and theirs are false. They don't know their own minds, but you do. Well said. You're an eloquent man. Doesn't mean you're wrong. In my experience, eloquent men are right. Every bit as often as imbeciles. Welcome to Binge Mode. Yeah. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished roasting his enemies no. while picking his mother up from the office. Oh, that was, that was bad. <laughs> it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hello. Jason. Yeah. It's easy to confuse what is with what ought to be. Oh, Tyrion, stop with this fucking cryptic shit and just tell me what you're talking about. Especially when what is yeah. has worked out in your favor. It's true. We know this because we are rewatching all 60 episodes mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones. We are deep diving one episode at a time. <laughs> and it's working out so far. Yes, yeah. so far. Spoiler warning, as always, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this episode and this season and beyond. So climb onto Drogon's back. Hold on tight, because it's time to take flight and break down season five, episode nine, The Dance of Dragons. Yeah! Jason? Yes? If we come to a satisfactory arrangement, I'll be sure to send a cask of the Arbor's Finest your way. Oh, delicious. Late summer, best. But until then, yeah, let's offer a brief refresher of a different sort. A brief refresher on what actually happened in this ninth installment. Let's take a quick trip down our own King's Road. In Stannis's camp on the march to Winterfell where things are bad, <laughs> Ramsay and his 20 men do their job well, murdering Stannis's food stores, destroying his siege engines, and generally causing chaos. Davos can tell by the way Stannis looks at Mel Something bad is afoot. Stannis sends Davos to Castle Black for supplies. Yeah, that's a little you boy. suspicious. And refuses the Onion Knights, please, to let him take Shireen with. Oh, no. That's bad. Oh, God. That means... So many red flags here. That means it's time for a farewell. Davos gives Shireen a small wooden stag. Not as flammable as you might think, that little thing. (laughs) Stannis shares a quiet moment with his only daughter, Shireen. Uh, He looks haggard and speaks in troubled riddles, and she asks, what can I do to help? Stannis allows Melisandre to sacrifice Shireen, who pleads, screaming for her life. uh, Selyse, perhaps Mel's most ardent supporter, finally cracks. Let me get those bells for Princess Shireen Baratheon. Give us those bells, Zach. Give us those bells. Taught Davos to read, you son of a bitch. Shireen is one of the true, true lights in this story. The purest light. Like, when it comes to just a pure light, all she did was want to help people. Just a bright shining force of good. Davos, you can't read? You're in jail? I'm just going to come down there and teach you to read. Oh, uh, Gilly, you can't read? Great. I'll teach you to read. One of the more agonizing deaths on the show to date, and in no small part because book readers did not know this was coming. Yeah. And it's also, uh, we should say that for this to happen in the book, several things would need to happen. It seems pretty far away. Stannis is in the north, et cetera, et cetera. But yes, huge shock. (sighs) R.I.P. Shireen. Yeah. Then at Castle Black, John and the survivors from Hardhome arrive at the gate. It's a few tense moments when... 
staring up at the gate. It seems as if Alisha Thorne is not going to let them through, but then he does. The dick. John is rueful. He wishes he could have saved more lives. Plenty of rueful people down in Dorne. Yeah. Prince Duran questioning Jamie. Yeah. What are you doing here, guy? Good question. (laughs) He's trying to piece together a few different things here. And one of the things that he is connecting the dots on is Ilaria's involvement. She's been stirring the shit. Ultimately, Dern agrees to allow Jamie to take Marcella back to King's Landing. Oh, just uh, one condition. Betrothal to Tristane must remain intact. And the young Prince of Dorne must be named to the small council. Doran forces Alaria and the Sand Snakes to swear allegiance. He warns her, this is your last chance. I give second chances. Right. No thirds. They don't need the third. And bravos! Arya is on her oysters, clams, and cockles! Hustle. Undercover mission. Scouting out the thin man. When, who does she see? A name from her list. Marin Trant. Arriving at the docks in the company of the jolly Mace Tyrell. Singing a song of Blanky Town. Marin brings a pair of the Lannister guardmen <laughs> to a brothel. Where he displays his truly sickening predilections. Arya trails them there. Because everyone knows that people in a brothel want to eat unrefrigerated shellfish. <laughs> Pretty gross. How much for your clan? Finally, in the fighting pits of Marine, Danny, her top advisors, Hisdar, waiting, watching the opening bout of the newly reopened pits. Dario. Openly flirting with Danny. Not even trying to hide it. In front of her (laughs) fiance. And Danny loves it. Yeah, she's like, this is good. Taking pleasure in watching his dar squirm. (laughs) Jorah makes his appearance in the pits. And after some very close calls. Extremely close. Very close calls. Very, very close. He should have died, maybe. He had that nice, like, dagger from the boot. Thank God for that dagger from the boot. Great stuff. Ultimately, he prevails. And just after he grabs a spear, what's going to happen? Is he mad that Danny didn't clap for him? Right. Who's he going to throw that at? Oh, shit. It's the Sons of the Harpy. They are attacking. Sneak attack. Yep. Not great, guys. This is not great. Down in the battle. Carnage ensues. The Harpies stabbing anyone they can get to, including... Star. No bells at all. Can we get, just get like a party? What's the anti-bell? <laughs> yeah, can we just get one of those little party, <laughs> party buzzers <laughs> for his art? Peace. Peace out, guy. Yeah. You really fucking sucked. Yeah, your last moments were, were Dario <laughs> talking shit to you while twirling a knife in your face. <laughs> <laughs> the fight, the battle, it's getting out of hand. It is getting completely out of hand. Danny, so desperate that she takes Jorah's hand here. His, wow. his the good hand. The good the hand. Door, Thank God. Is the good hand. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but like, maybe put a glove on, dude. Yeah, for real. Like he had like a. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And at the last moment, when things seem utterly desperate and hopeless, our heroes. That's right. Compressing into a tiny ball as the harpies circle around them. Danny closes her eyes and opens her heart. <laughs> In comes Drogon. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. He's back. He's breathing fire. He's it's best. an incredible sequence. We're going to talk about it in depth later on. Basically, TLDR version mm-hmm. comes in. Burns a lot of people. Yep. Takes a couple wounds, but ultimately rescues his mother who climbs aboard, binds herself in a way that she hasn't yet, and takes flight. It was a beautiful moment. Mal! Yeah! Sometimes a person has to choose. Sometimes the world forces his or her hand. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let us cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is... Sacrifice. Speaking of sacrifice, Stannis, Melisandre, Solice, and Shireen. Very tough. What is sacrifice? What does it mean? It means giving up something that you really care about in order to hopefully get 
something else. Stannis, what does he really care about? He wants to be king. He wants to be king. But shit's going bad. Ramsay inf- infiltrated his camp with absolute ease, burned the tents, killed the horses, destroyed the provisions, destroyed the siege engines. Davos reminds Stannis that, you know, you're in foreign lands, essentially. These northerners understand their lands better than we ever will. But A Stan- reminder he's had to give time and time again. Time and time again. You know, they're not only are they better equipped for the snow, but they ride horses that are these little kind of ponies that are better equipped for the snow, and they're just used to it. And Stannis is just... He's a man of destiny. There's nothing that will dissuade him from marching on Winterfell now. And he wants to know, how did Ramsay's men get into the camp? How did this happen? Uh, The guards were either asleep or they were bought off. And he says, find the truth, then hang them. Essentially torture these guys until they tell you something and then kill them. Great guy. He's really- Super chill. Really standing up to the pressure. Uh, (laughs) um, Davos- you know, having observed the damage done by Ramsay's men, um, mentions, hey, we don't have enough food to make it back to Castle Black. That's how um, you know how dire it really is. Right, it's they like, can't even get back to Castle Black. We cannot go back, and we can't even really go forward. Then Melisandre and Selyse appear, and there's this really... Chilling moment. Yeah, I mean, it's charged. And Davos knows that something is going to happen. He because, almost looks like a frightened child in yeah, that moment. Because the way Stannis looks at them and the way they look at him, and it's just this, you know, the world seems to shrink to just those three people, and Davos is not inside that world. And you can feel the dread closing in around him. And sure enough, next thing Stannis does is find some excuse. It's a good excuse, to be fair, to send Davos back to Castle Black. They need food. Okay. Go back to Castle Black. Ask Jon Snow to send them food, supplies, fresh horses, maybe men. You know, of course men, but like Jon's not going to give them to. But, you know, ask. Um, (laughs) He's asking Jon to make short-term sacrifices for a long-term gain. But really, who's long-term? Stannis' long-term gain. Um, And what does Stannis promise? When I win, I will make sure you have enough men to guard all 19 castles at once. And this is the kind of shit that people say when they are desperate, by the way. And of course, he's just trying to get Davos out of there because he knows that Davos and Shireen have a close relationship. Shireen taught him to read. Uh, Davos has, in many ways, been more of a father to Shireen, and certainly over the last few years than Stannis has, who, if you'll remember, uh, back when he goes to see Shireen, he's like, you've grown. He doesn't, doesn't, he's <laughs> hadn't seen her in such a long time that she was, like, bigger. And he also knows, of course, that Davos... At loathes Melisandre Hates and despises her practices and would certainly try to take her life before allowing Literally this to pulled a dagger on her in the painted table room of Dragonstone. And so Davos has to go away. Davos asks, uh, let me take uh, Princess Shireen with her. You know, we don't have food here. Uh, wouldn't that be safer? And Stannis is like, no. You know, my wife and child will stay with me. He's sacrificing here really his best advisor, his most trusted advisor for the one who he thinks, Melisandre, can deliver him the prize. That's and, the most telling sign of his desperation. Right. He's de- it's a gamble at this point. This is all he has. It's a less than a coin flip, but he's putting everything on it. Um, Stannis enters Shireen's tent. Oh, God. She's reading The Dance of Dragons, a history of the Civil War, this. the same name. And, you know... He's kind of out of it when he goes in there. He seems almost like there's something else on his mind. I wonder what it could be. And Stannis, so Stannis asks her, you know, what are you reading? What's this about? And she kind of goes through what it's about, you know, the Dance of Dragons, this side against this side. Wouldn't he know this? He would know it, but (laughs) this shows you that he's got something else on his mind. He's just trying to drum up some kind of conversation to like make the time go because he knows what's coming Next, And so he's asking about the details of the war. He asks Shireen whether she would have sided with Aegon II or his half-sister Rhaenyra, who was the king's chosen heir, mm-hmm. his prized daughter, Rhaenyra. And P.S., this is kind of the inheritance through the female line is an issue with the Targaryens and in the realm of Westeros, and we'll go over that at some point. Shireen is, as ever, extremely positive and wise beyond her years. She says, I wouldn't have chosen either. It's all the choosing sides that's made everything so horrible. Love that. Yeah. So 
much. And what profound wisdom from a child. She is a wonderful human being. She really always was. The other thing about that is when she's explaining this, what this is to Stannis, in addition to the just delightful little moment where she, she's right. like, he's like, well, that seems like a stupid title. You know, she's like, it's poetic. Right. When she explains her, she says, brother fought brother. Dragons fought dragons. Right. By the time it was over, thousands were dead and it was a disaster for the Targaryens as well. They never truly recovered. That's a pretty potent warning. Right. Brother fought brother. Hey. Where have we heard this before? Yeah. They never truly recovered. Hmm. Right. Cautionary tale. Right. But he's too zoned in yeah. on just t- complete tunnel vision he's locked at this in. point. Yeah. Can't adjust. Can't heed the warning even though it's there. So what does he say? He says basically, you know, uh, you have to choose. Sometimes a person has to choose. Sometimes the world forces his hand, he tells her. The man knows what he is and remains true to himself. The choice is no choice at all. He must fulfill his destiny and become who he is meant to be, however much he may hate it. This shows that in contrast to earlier seasons, when his relationship to Melisandre and her prophecies was basically like, okay, let's see if this works. I'm not sure how much I really believe in it, but you know, this seems to be working okay. He's fully invested now. What else can he do, really? And Shireen says in perhaps, I mean, there's a lot of agonizing moments in this show, but this is up there. Gut-wrenching. It is gut-wrenching because she is so innocent and she can tell he's troubled. She says, it's all right, father. And Stannis says, you don't even know what I'm talking about. She says, it doesn't matter. And she's really comforting him now, really trying to doesn't matter. I want to help you. Is there any way I can help? And he says, yes, there is. And this steals him perversely. Good. I want to. I'm the Princess Shireen of House Baratheon and I'm your daughter. She hugs him and he says, forgive me. And remember those words from earlier, just earlier in the season when it really seemed like Stannis was warming to being a father to Shireen. And he takes her out of the tent. And as soon as Shireen sees Melisandre, and everyone's standing around a fucking pyre, she knows. What happened to never letting the lamb see the blade because you don't want to foul the flavor? This is like fucking walking the plank here. Brutal. Listen, Melisandre, honestly, fuck her and everything she's ever done. This is except, so Except bring John back, spoiler, bring John back <laughs> from the dead. Except that. Except that one thing. Um, and it is... Just agonizing. His troops look ill. Here's where, again, Stannis has made this sacrifice. What's going to happen because he's, he does this? His men will be disgusted and desert him because right. of what they have seen. If our king will burn his daughter? This is not the person you want to be fighting for. Who, yeah, what, what do I mean to him? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's such a sincere miscalculation yeah. on his part because— there is no redemption for him. None after this. Zero. There, there can't be because right. what is he's done? What is so left of much? You? Yeah. What is left of you? And he didn't just sacrifice a person. He sacrificed <laughs> his own humanity. Yeah. And you need that humanity. You have to be even a fucking dumbass like Viserys yeah. knew this. You can't rule without. The thing that they gave Danny in that tent, right? If you're not inspiring something other than basically revulsion, how are people ever going to fight for you? They're not. And he will learn this. They even lost Solis here. I mean, that was the, that is the moment where, I mean, it's all horrible, but Solis was arguably the most hardcore believer in the Lord of Light and in Melisandre's ability to channel his will and battered by the shrieks of her daughter as she's engulfed in flames, screaming, mother, please. She says, I can't. And she breaks and she collapses. And Stannis, just like a haggard ghoul who's been hollowed out, just stares at the thing. And it is awful. Shireen tries to stop it, but of course she can't. And Stannis, in the words of Sir Roderick, what he said to Theon, Stannis was well and truly lost now. That's it. He's done. Things are slightly <laughs> more cheerful sure. at the wall. There's no human sacrifice. Slightly for now. Uh, there is an extremely tense moment for yeah. John 
when he arrives back at Castle Black with his band of wildlings, he comes to the gate and is waiting for it to open. And yeah. it is not opening. And there's this great moment where yeah. John steps forward, apart, <laughs> you know, separates from the from the pack, gives his best furrowed brow, like, <laughs> don't fuck with me, thorn face, which I guess he thinks thorn can see from atop the wall. <laughs> and... There is a very pregnant pause, yeah. and then finally, ultimately, Thorne does open the gate, and then we, you know, we cut the the shot. The scene cuts to right. inside the yard. Wildlings are streaming in, and John is talking to Sam, and he's telling him that he feels like this was a botched job. Right. He says, "I went to save them. I failed," and Sam, of course is telling him otherwise because he truly knows right. that that's not true. He's not just saying right. it to make him feel better. He says every one of them is alive because of you and no one else. You know, John, to his credit, though, is maintaining some level of perspective of his own because he says right. that he doesn't think that that fact, the fact of John's responsibility, right. is lost on the Brothers of the Night's Watch. What has John really sacrificed back home in order to save these people, we're starting to really feel yeah. in this episode, in this scene, that things are going to kind of be bad here. Things are not right. And we get, of course, our latest version of Ollie Cam. <laughs> John smiles at Ollie. I want to play poker with Ollie. <laughs> Ollie gives him Tonight. a gesture. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a, a pretty potent moment with Thorne when he yeah. comes by for a chipper greeting. You have a good heart, Jon Snow. It'll get us all killed. Then he just walks off. Right. Wow. And great. Thanks, First Ranger Thorn. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because there are sh real shades there of Jorah's yeah. you have a gentle heart line to Danny, but of course the undertones of what Thorn is saying are so much darker and so much more alarming and concerning. And it's just an interesting reminder of the weight of context and mm -hmm. how the same statement can be true, but the facts of your reality mm -hmm. can basically completely alter whether that's a good or bad thing for you at a given moment. So John's state of sacrifice is a, is a little bit TBD here in this episode, but we're starting to feel that he might have miscalculated. Yeah. Down in Dorne, Alaria and the Sound Snakes are getting ready to sacrifice something, but what is it? They have that chat with Prince Doran. Doran no wants to know why Jamie snuck into Dorne and essentially attacked Dornish troops in an attempt to steal away Marcella. Jamie says, why'd you threaten us, basically? And here, Prince Doran starts to put it together. Marcella says of the necklace that Cersei received in that little box with the carved snake, that necklace was stolen from my room. And Doran looks right at Ilaria, who doesn't even really try to be like, oh, I didn't do it, what are you talking about? Uh, she's just like, smirks like, yeah, and he knows. What's Alaria doing here? She's been trying to foment war between Dorne and the realm, specifically the Lannisters. Jamie is sitting there wondering, is it about to go off right now? But Doran is a very measured, very conservative man. This, by the way, is a difference from the books where he is outwardly measured and very conservative as well, playing very safe moves, but that's on the surface. Under the surface, he's a gambler. And he is making moves in the, in, the, in the shadows. Not the case here. He really is just like a weak guy who is not going to retaliate to the many, many, many insults done to him and his family by the Lannisters. He's not ready to risk it. He says, many in Dorne want war. But I've seen war. I've seen the bodies piled on the battlefields. I've seen the orphans starving in the cities. I don't want to lead my people into that hell. He's not going to have a choice, perhaps. Rare position, though, yeah. for a leader right? in Westeros or this story period to say, I'd actually just rather everyone stay alive. Yeah, you killed my brother. That sucks. Okay. <laughs> you killed my sister, raped her, killed her kids. Yeah, you know, snuck into my palace and assaulted my guards and tried to steal, like, uh, my son's betrothed away from him. Yeah, it's, you know, listen, let's just, everybody chill. Would Let's you relax. like more wine? Would you like more it's, wine? It's been decanting <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for a full hour. It's wonderful from the arbor. Ilaria, though, is willing to sacrifice people's lives. She's ready to go to war. She's ready to do what Doran will not. When Doran toasts to King Tommen's name, which, by the way, is a little extra 
Like, you don't need to do that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come on, guy. That's like, it's like ruffling Trump's hair. Like, you can talk to him. You want to say some shit. But you don't need to, like, fucking toast King Tommen. Anyway, what does Larry do? She very dramatically pours the wine out on the floor. So wasteful. The, yeah, I agree. The faith militant are running around <laughs> King's Landing, smashing barrels yeah. of booze. The stuff is just pouring in the gutters, like the buckets of shit that the people in Flea Bottom pour, yeah. the Marjorie had to step over. Like, we gotta <laughs> save the wine. Come on. Where's the gods of tits and wine? Anyway, we should sail there immediately. Let's go. What's Duran sacrificing here? He's sacrificing his son, number one, to maintain the Lannister Martell alliance. He's sacrificing his people's respect for him right. and his the respect of the Sand Snakes. Uh, he tells Jamie that, okay, you can take Marcella back. Bad fucking idea, by the way. Uh, just as long as you do this. Tristane and her are still going to be married. Great. Okay. And Tristane sits on the small council. What that achieves, by the way, I'm not even sure. Jamie says, great. You have a deal. And Ilaria pounces, of course. Yes, you have the word of a kingslayer. No wonder you can't stand. You have no spine. Gout is a serious condition. It is, he doesn't look gouty. And she should show a little more... Rich man's disease. ...support for the afflicted. Uh, Doran will not take being insulted, at, you know, certainly not in front of ambassadors from some other region of the realm. He says, you are mother to my four of my nieces, girls I love very much. For their sake, I hope you live a long and happy life. Speak to me again and you won't. Yeah, listen, dude, we've heard it. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, I'm definitely going to be stricken with gout at some yeah. point. Just a matter of time. I'm certainly not going to sample the oysters, clams, and cockles listen, that Arya is <laughs> pushing, though, because, again, it's just not sanitary. It's bad, guys. The heat, the no. open exposure to the elements. And, and other things. <laughs> Who knows what else? Listen, I... Don't want to smell seafood in a like rotting seafood in a brothel. Can we just get that out of here? Fishy enough in there already. Oh my god! <laughs> Someone close that clam. <laughs> Shut that clam, you guys. It's breezy uh, in here. Arya is she's multitasking. Yeah, you know she's she's selling seafood, but she's also approaching the thin man. She's there right. to complete her homework assignment That's from right. Jockin. But something catches her eye. Who's that? Marin fucking Trant. What a fucker. Paddling in <laughs> off a boat. Yeah. He's with Mace Tyrell, right. who is just delighted to be there. And Arya very quickly makes the decision to sacrifice her faceless man mission to follow Trant into a Bravosi brothel. She sells a couple oysters. Aphrodisiacs, you know? Yeah. And... Yeah makes her way back to the room where Trant is assessing what's on offer. And this is a disgusting... Stomach Disgusting. See, more stomach turning than the cockles. I mean, when the brothel owner is like, Revolted. this dude is fucked up. Yeah. That's bad. I, Littlefinger probably would have been fine with it, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. Can accommodate any taste I'll, here. All tastes are valid to a man with a full purse. <laughs> <laughs> Girl number one comes out. Too old. Girl number two. Too old. Girl you number see three. see where this is going. Our most expensive girl, the madam says, but well worth it. I assure you. This is a, like, young teenager, I'd say. Right. Too old. Do you have what I want or not? And by the way, this frames some of the things that we've seen Trent do in the past when he beat Sansa on the orders of Joffrey, but now it's a darker thing there. Absolutely. And the madam returns with a child. Right. And legitimate child. Child. Right, dolled child. up. Right. Legitimately a in child. In makeup. And Trant looks at her and says, Good. Great. I'll tell you when we're done. You'll have a fresh one for me tomorrow. What a piece In of the shit. running for the most disgusting right. thing that anyone has ever said on this show. Right. And is watching this. She is witnessing this. Even <clears throat> trance man yeah. 
one of the Lannister soldiers is in there with him, looks like, oh, Jesus Christ. Distressed. I didn't know know Trant was this fucked up. Right. And then the other Lannister soldier comes up behind Arya. Oh, (laughs) clams. Nothing makes me want to fuck like rotting seafood. (laughs) There's a tense moment where brings her into the room. Does Trant recognize her? It's close. He... Something stirs there. Something, absolutely. And there's a there's a, a, a moment tense enough to make us anxious as viewers, certainly tense enough to make Arya anxious, but ultimately she's shooed out, shooed off right. the premises. Now, Arya, her mind was already made up. The second that oh. she saw him get off that boat. Oh, yeah. On the, firmly on the list. Nothing yeah. was no. going to change her mind. No, no, no. But if there was the smallest shred, the thinnest clam strip of doubt remaining anywhere <laughs> inside of her. What she witnessed in that room right. would have removed it. She right. didn't need more conviction, right. but she got it anyway. And more importantly, the thing that she witnessed gives her a way in. She is a good study of character. Yeah. Now she knows what one of his weaknesses is. What is she going to be willing ultimately to sacrifice to avenge Sirio, to go after Trant, to pursue the thing that Arya Stark wants? Right. She's not supposed to be Arya Stark anymore. So this is going to be the moment where she has to make a choice. Is she committing to becoming no one and to continuing with her faceless man training? Or is she willing to sacrifice that path to get what she wants? Right. In Marine, where Danny has... By reopening the fighting pits, you could say sacrifice something of her ideals. Tensions are running high here. And the fighting pits are reopening. There's cheers from the crowd, shades of gladiator. Hisdar and Dario are kind of sparring over what kind of man most often prevails in a fight. Down below them in the pit, there's this big dude with like this huge claymore two-handed sword that like is just gigantic and he's fighting a bravosi with what looks like needle very similar uh, blade to needle who is dancing around with beautiful footwork etc and hisdar says after dario kind of has been teasing him a little while says you know large men do triumph over small men far more often than not One of the surest ways to get viewers of Game of Thrones to hate you is to basically say something that inadvertently or intentionally is a knock on Tyrion. Right. And when you're sitting next to Tyrion talking about physical size being the surest indicator of your ability to succeed in life, we're just going to be like, fuck you, dude. It's also like a very, again, this is like a sports conversation because his star is like, I've been in the, listen, I've been going to the arena my whole life. I've been in the fighting pits my whole life. I've seen guys fight. Big guy beats he, the little guy all the time. Okay, I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. <laughs> you can't teach size. So Danny says, Danny, by the way, absolutely loves Dario overstepping his bounds and teasing so, her fucking betrothed. So incredible. You know, just like, the insolence from this guy, which is really the thing she loves about him, is the insolence. And Danny says, you yourself, have you ever tried to kill another man who is trying to kill you? Which, mocking him. Mocking him. And by the way, all the guys that Danny really likes have done that. Um, That's right. Not a great way to talk to your husband. And she is just like flirting so hot and heavy with Dario as Dario like spins this knife, this dagger through his fingers, points it at fucking his dar's eye. Um <laughs> So the big dude beheads the Bravosi and Tyrion looks a little bit ill. He's seen some shit, but he looks the, a little bit ill. The, sorry, this like the symbol, it's just so great. The symbolism of Dario literally like twirling yeah, a phallic symbol in his star's face. Pointy, he's like pointed in his eye at one point. Oh my God. This show is great. Yeah, it's really good. And his star is like, oh, you don't approve. You what, you don't like this place? I've been coming here since I was 12 years old. You don't approve. And Tyrion's like, you know, there's always been more than enough death in the world for my taste. I can do without it in my leisure time. His dar, fair enough. Yet, it's an unpleasant question. Now, they, of course, they get philosophical here. But what great thing has ever been accomplished without killing or cruelty? Sounds like Stannis. Yeah, it does sound like uh, breakfast, for one, I would say. But <laughs> Tyrion says, it's easy to confuse what is with what ought to be, especially when what is has worked out in your favor. His dar says, I'm not talking about myself. 
I'm talking about the necessary conditions for greatness. And Danny says, that is greatness. And there's just, you know, dead bodies and guts on the fucking ground. And his star says, that is part of the great city of Marine, which existed long before you or I and will remain standing long before we've returned to the dirt. And Tyrion, yes, hearing the echo of Tywin through the ages says, my father would have liked you. And that last <laughs> Tyrion comment is telling. Hisdar is exactly the kind of guy willing to sacrifice individuals, real people with real dreams and real wants and desires for the larger goal of sustaining some type of legacy, the greatness of Marine. That's what he cares about. What is Danny willing to sacrifice? We'll find out eventually. One thing, apparently, is her status as a single woman. You know, she has to marry this guy. And Danny says, one day your great city will return to the dirt as well. His daughter is like, oh, yeah, on your command? She says, if need me, and how many people will die to make this happen? Some early just rough drafts of the wedding vows. <laughs> I know. Like, testing out a few liners. Already bickering. <laughs> she says, if it comes to that, they will have died for a good reason. And he says, those men, the gladiators, he says, think they're dying for a good reason. She says, someone else's reasons. So your reasons are true and theirs are false. And this is, again, this philosophical discussion of choice and who can choose to uh, give their own life and why. And what does that mean? They don't know their own minds, but you do, he continues. And Tyrion. That's, I like that. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a, a it's fair a, point. It is a fair point. And Tyrion acknowledges. He says, well said, you're an eloquent man. It doesn't mean you're wrong. In my experience, eloquent men are right just as often as imbeciles. <laughs> uh, then look who it is. It's Jorah. Oh, I'm looking. <laughs> and Danny gets this look on her face that is tortured. The cuts to her face throughout the entire Jorah fighting sequence are priceless. She priceless. clearly cares for him and wants him to be okay, but refuses to admit it. Has Absolutely. to say, has to maintain her position her rigidly and stuff. Clenches, her eyes go wide and glassy. And just as Jora is victorious, and by the way, it was very close several times. Had and to, she was willing to sacrifice his life in that moment. Yeah, because I mean, she was gonna let it happen. They were like, you know, yield. She had to. Right, right. right. She's like, go for it. So he wins and he picks up the spear and gazing up at the at the stand where the queen is, he suddenly hefts that spear. And throws it. And who does he hit? He hits a harpy. And now, boom, they attack. Jason. Yeah. Things get pretty tense from there. Yeah. Shireen was not the only person who burned in this episode. Hordes of harpies turned to, yeah. turned to crisps yeah. under Drogon's breath, his fiery breath. But... Our little guy, yeah, our little did. buddy, took some damage. He multiple multiple spear wounds, some holes in his wings. Ugh. Things looked pretty bleak for him for a minute there. So, how close was Drogon to actually being in mortal peril? What I don't even like to think about this, but what could the harpies have done to mm -hmm. take him down? And what might that mean for Danny's campaign moving? forward because she is really in this moment where she climbs aboard and takes flight leveled up in a huge way oh, yeah. by binding herself to Drogon by becoming a dragon not just a dragon owner but a dragon rider the difference there is monumental it's, a, it's immense and it's immense it's an incredible thing I mean she's obviously going to be stranded she's for a, a Targaryen while, now but, right. for real this is huge and yet he was in peril right so she has seen mm -hmm. what he can do for her, what their bond can mean. But also she has seen his vulnerabilities firsthand. She was pulling those spears out of him herself. The other thing in this episode, of course, a lot of talk about the dance dragons, yeah. reminding us that these famed winged beasts of war can in fact fall. So let's assemble the conclave and head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about how dragons can fall. Killing dragons. You know, Aegon the Conqueror invaded Westeros with three dragons and very, very few men. Took basically the entire continent. And because of that, 
and the thousands of people who perished in the fields of fire and at Heron Hall, et cetera, et cetera. Dragons can seem like these weapons of mass destruction that cannot be countered, certainly not by mortal men. That's not true. In 10 AC, the Dornist accomplished a feat which sent a tremor through the newly unified realm. They brought down a dragon. The first Dornish war had been raging for six years at this time. Now, initially, the Targaryens and their allies had very little problem invading Westeros' southernmost region. Oris Baratheon's ill-fated frontal assault down the Boneway being the exception. Long story short, it was a bloody campaign up the Boneway. He got captured. They cut off his sword hand and all of the men that they captured and sent them back to King's Landing. Now, for the most part, the climate and geography of Dorne were the Targaryens and their allies' stoutest foes. The Dornish, as they will do when faced with a superior army, just melted away into the deserts, the caves against the approaching onslaught. They abandoned their lands and their castles. You know, the Targaryens would come upon Sunspear and various castles and they would just be empty. The Targaryens found Dorne a wilderness. They named it peace and they declared victory. They appointed regional governors to administer their new holding dusted off their hands, and were like, we're out. Going back to King's Landing, uh, which was just like a town, a fort on a hill at that point. Now, of course, as soon as they leave, the Dornish reappeared from wherever it was they had been hiding and started killing these uh, Targaryen soldiers, the regional governors, etc. Untold numbers of occupying troops were slain in ambushes and raids all across Dorne. Knights were tortured to death. Uh, the Dornish lords would make a game out of seeing how much of a Targaryen knight they could amputate before the guy died. Lord Harlan Tyrell, who was like in charge of the armed forces in Dorne and for the Targaryens, just disappeared with his entire army in the deserts. And even now, as when the winds shift their bones will come to the surface along with their scoured, sand-scoured pieces of plate armor and different weapons and things. Jojen would like that. I saw your bone. I saw your bone. I saw your bone. So the Targaryens returned. They were pissed. And this time they were like, we're pulling out all the stops. Here come the dragons. Starfall, seat of the Danes, shouts to Arthur Dane, was Man, burned. What a great name. It's a great name. Oh, cool. They have great names All their names there. are so good. They have good names down there. As was Skyreach, home of the Fowlers. Then at Hellholt, which is, if you picture Dorne as a foot sideways standing on the ground, it's right in the middle of the bottom of the foot is Hellholt. On the headwaters of the stinking Brimstone River, one of the only two rivers in Dorne, one of the castle's defenders aimed a scorpion, which is like a huge crossbow siege weapon that shoots like a huge spear. He aimed his scorpion at the winged shadow of Meraxes. Meraxes? Meraxes. Wheeling in the sky above. <laughs> a silver-scaled dragon was born during the century of blood after the doom of Valeria on the island of Dragonstone. The beast rider was Queen Rhaenys, Aegon's favorite sister wife, the younger one. He loved her. Scorpion bolt struck home, got Meraxes right through the eye. The dragon fell crashed into Hellholt, taking out a tower, wrecking a portion of the curtain wall, and Rhaenys' body was never found. This is a cool wrinkle to the story, too, mm -hmm. by the way, what happened to Rhaenys. Unsure what happened to her. We'll talk about that later at some later date. Um, the war staggered on for another three years. Aegon was extremely pissed until finally the Targaryens withdrew because of, long story short, the Dornish sent an emissary to King's Landing. Aegon read a letter. What the letter contains, we do not know. And after he read the letter, he called off the troops. Did that letter contain, say, the fate of Queen Rhaenys? No one knows. So the Targaryens had lost, and not just the war, but the myth of their own invincibility. Dragons could be killed. They could be killed by men. So as a dragon grows, its scales thicken. A full-grown dragon, Meraxes was perhaps a century old at the time of his death, able to eat horses whole, Blaring the Black Dread, Aegon's mount died at like over 200 years old. So as they grow, their scales thicken and grow as well and turn into this nigh impenetrable armor. Arrows and spears would just glance off with no effect. But the eyes, as the Dornish showed at Hellholt, are weakness. Over a century later, in the late stages of the Dance of Dragons Civil War, humans again managed to take down dragons with conventional arms. The shepherd, a charismatic street preacher harboring a hatred of dragons, exhorted his followers to riot. 
The mob storm the dragon pit where the Targaryens house their dragons, intending to kill every creature therein. Unlike Waraxes, these dragons were chained to keep them from flying against the dome which covered the dragon pit. So groundbound, these dragons offered easier targets than Meraxes back in 10 AC. And so five of the great winged beasts were, they, they perished at the hands of this mob, but at the cost of hundreds or even thousands of lives. So they can do it, okay? People can kill dragons. No magic or dragon-to-dragon warfare necessarily required. So at the time of the battle, Drogon is between three and five years old, maybe, maybe six, maybe a little older, but certainly no younger than that. He's dangerous. Uh, I mean, he's the size of what? Like an elephant, maybe? Mm -hmm. Right? He's dangerous, but he's a juvenile, as evidenced by the fact that those spears did stick into his skin and made him mad. His scales just aren't up to the task of parrying edged weapons. And certainly, the Sons of the Harpy could have killed him. Not easily, but they could have. Danny was right to follow her instincts to fly out of the fighting pits on the back of Drogon. What a guy. He's a wonderful... I love when he is like... And then sniffs her and is like, uh, mommy. That is such a great moment. You know, we talk about Stannis' tunnel vision earlier right. in, a, in a bad way, but that moment when there is chaos yeah. raging around her and Danny and the, the, the way the scene is shot, mm-hmm. the sound cues, the camera cues, the show does a very effective job of putting us in Danny's perspective and all she sees is Drogon, and she walks right toward yeah. him. Anyone could have come up and stabbed her. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> throw, throw one of those fucking spears at her, right? But she right. only has eyes for him. It's such an amazing moment for us to understand their bond. What do you say quickly to listeners who are wondering, mm. did she summon him? Yeah, this is a great question. In the books, it's pretty clear that Drogon is attracted to the fighting pits by the smell of blood and like the sound of battle. Something in that stirs him, gets him hungry probably, you know? Uh, So it wasn't necessarily that Danny was there. It just happened. It was a coincidence. In this case, as you said, the way they shot it with the sound cues and the way Danny's face becomes transfixed almost in a way in that moment before Drogon arrives, she closes her eyes and right. seems to call him. Is that resignation yeah. to her circumstances or is she summoning her last I hope? think this is a show change and there is a connection between Danny and Drogon. I like that I like interpretation. That's what I, like I, I want that to be true so as an animal lover, you know? <laughs> nothing, nothing makes me happier than the idea that Danny could say, need yeah. you now, bud. Also, it is one of the things that we love so much about the direwolf relationships right. is that exactly. you actually can do that, right? Yeah. And John says, ghost, to me, well, right. there's ghost. I mean, in the books. Right. Right. <laughs> but that's kind of what they're there yeah. for, you know? Okay. Love you, Drogon. Great stuff. Hey, guys. Just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus... You can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Mal! Yeah. You must love humiliation. Oh, no. no or no. pain. No, neither Which of Which do you love more? I hate them both. Okay. You can tell me <laughs> as we head to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, Lightning Round style. You go. Number one. There is a wonderful moment. This is really good, actually. When Jorah first appears in the pits and Danny, she reacts physically. Yeah. You know, as as one would. And Hisdar, trying Mm -hmm. to get in there. Your grace. Right. Gonna start some shit. Right. And Dario immediately turns him, shut your mouth. Right. And he will not allow. Right. Any snaky whispering there. He, it's a very cool little moment where we see the respect that Dario has for Jorah. Certainly a rivalry there. Right. But they fought together. But they're brothers in arms. And it's a nice little moment where we see that Dario is is willing to, to stand up and not let somebody else interfere with what's happening. Really cool moment. Number two, a couple more fighting pit observations. Jorah versus the Bravosi, who is carrying a sword much like Needle. I love that bit. And then Hisdar, it's funny, this guy has been like, the fighting bits, fighting bits, fighting bits, fighting bits, fighting bits, fight. And then he's late. He's late to the grandstand, mm-hmm. late to the fighting pits. Yeah. 
uh, where have you been? He's asked. Oh, just uh, making sure everything's over. What are you fucking tying the boots on the gladiators? It's a bit suspicious. They definitely want you to think that he's setting up the harpy attack. Absolutely. And by the way, in the books. Yeah, 100%. 100% he was involved in the For harpy sure. attack. Planned it. Absolutely. I was shocked when he died on the show. I was shocked. Shocked because I was convinced fully that he was. Right. Something more. Yeah. Yes, that he had a he was playing a part in the insurgency. I was also like, get this fucking guy out of here. Yeah. Peace <laughs> out. Uh, number three, there is a fascinating little exchange between Alaria and Jamie that sort of, especially now, with the clarity of hindsight, knowing what's going to happen to a lot of these characters, really makes you ache yeah. for for what could have been. She goes to visit him in his chambers, makes fun of his handwriting. You know, <laughs> you write like a seven year old. He's like, dude, yeah, you try losing a hand and see how it goes for you. And she says, "You love her very much, don't you?" Jamie says, "Of course, she's my niece. <laughs> Good try, buddy." <laughs> I love how everybody's just like, <laughs> Good I, I, try. he's been confronted like several times now about like, so you and Cersei, and he's just like, what, what, what? <laughs> and Ilaria says. I wasn't talking about her. <laughs> you think I disapprove? She's responding to the, the shocked yeah. look on Jamie's face. Why? Because people disapprove of that sort of thing where you're from. They disapproved of Oberyn and me where you are from. Here, no one blinked an eye. 100 years ago, no one would have blinked an eye at you if you'd been known as Targaryen. It's always changing who we're supposed to love and who we're not. The only thing that stays the same is that we want who we want. This is kind of a why can't we all just get along type right. of scene because it's an interesting reminder that these characters actually have a lot more in common than they're willing to admit and that there are areas where they could easily come together yep. and find, if not true companionship and understanding, then at least some semblance of commonality and recognition. Right. But they can never get out of their own ways enough to just let that happen. Number four. Interesting moment when Jamie visits Doran and Elaria, Marcella, Tristane, and Ariohota. He sees his daughter sitting there and he says, comments on her dress, and she says, You don't like it? He says, You must be cold. Not at all. The Dornish climate agrees with me. Uh, shades of Cersei talking about Marjorie's dress. Interesting that Cersei and Jamie. Two people who have been, who are brother and sister and been fucking since they were like 12 are weirdly prudish until you realize that they've been, well, Jamie has been anyway, in a monogamous relationship with each other only, which we can talk about that later, but <laughs> with each other only uh, for their whole lives. So crazy. It's weird. But yeah. like also put on a shawl, you know? Right. Yeah, come on. Come on. Number five. Yeah. <sighs> Got to bring up Shireen again, guys. Sorry. I know you dried your eyes already, but a couple really interesting little nuggets to talk about here, both involving Davos. First one is that before Stannis goes into Shireen's tent to talk about, what are you reading? She has a similar exchange with Davos. He goes in to say his farewell. She says that she's reading history right. of the Dance of Dragons Civil War. And... They go on together to share a chuckle to make fun of Sir Byron Swan, yeah. who got roasted by a dragon while trying to hide <laughs> behind a mirrored shield, thinking he could sneak up on the dragon right. who would be, you know, distracted by its, its right. own reflection, right? This is actually really haunting yes. if you think about it because they are laughing about someone who was burned to death right before this is about to happen to Shireen. It's painful to watch now. And the other Davos-Shireen moment, Jason brought up earlier, the stag, the wooden stag that Davos carves for her and gives to her. There's an agonizing moment where she says in response, you know, she loves it. And she says, will you make a dough too so oh, he can have company? And that's funny. I mean, obviously just heart, <laughs> heart wrenching on so many levels. The fact that yeah. she thinks she has a future in which she needed dough is obviously just awful. But also the purest expression yeah. of her loneliness. Really she is. has been confined to her no friends. bedchamber, cast aside by her own mother. And when she's given this solitary figure, all she can think is, well, what have I always wanted? A companion. Really agonizing. And of course, the other thing about the stag is that this is, spoiler alert, yeah. guys, this is the stag that somehow, despite being made of wood, survives Shireen's 
burning. And right. Davos is going to find this. He needs to know what happened. He's going to need to try to piece this together. And he finds this charred object in season six, and it allows him to piece together what happened here, what Melisandre did, and then ultimately to go and, and to ask John to cast Melisandre aside. This is big season six spoiler stuff. But that's stag. Check off stag there. Big deal. Number six, Mace Tyrell showing a keen, perhaps unseen talent <laughs> for being master of coin. He's at the Iron Bank, and Tycho Nistaris says, we are not gamblers here at the Iron Bank, Lord Tyrell. And Mace says, you're the world's best gamblers, and all those bets you won built this. And he throws his arms wide at the structure of the Iron Bank, and then he starts singing whatever fucking side, the hits of the reach and beyond. <laughs> and Marin Trant, it looks like he wants to stab Mace like in the fucking neck. He's like, I thought that old shit would never stop singing the Tyrells can all rotten hell treasonous cunts. They were going to make that boy fuck a Renly King. Fuck you, Marin. Number seven. We very quickly mentioned this earlier, but we got to talk about Jorah barehanding Danny. <laughs> His queen, yeah, who he's swearing to do anything to protect. You know you have this infectious disease and you're just going to grab her hand? <laughs> you know, in his slight defense, and I'm not saying that I, I it's wrong. It's, it's bad. 100% bad. <laughs> it's bad. But he did give her the good hand. <laughs> <laughs> Still, the other thing is, how does he always look at his steadily diseasing fucking forearm, his diseased forearm. How does he look at it? He takes the good hand, right. pulls down the sleeve, and looks at it, and thus transferring the little scaly skin flakes to his other hand. Why are you doing this? Just, come on. Jorah. It's Jorah. You're better than this. You gotta be better than you this. You have to be 100% better than this. Guys, Jorah fights for Danny, and yeah. we fight and die for your glory. Oh, glorious listeners. Each episode, we are going to honor the person who played the game, advanced his or her or its oh. cause in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is fighting for Danny's glory as well. It is... Drogon! Drogon! <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing about those pronouns... Dragons are both male and female, mm -hmm. depending on what uh, it needs to be at the particular moment in its life. Drogon, just a fucking champion, answers his mother's call. Great stuff. Shows himself capable of handling a crowd of armed men. He gets wounded a little bit. Um, but, you know, think about it. He's mostly been eating goats, kids. And yes, he <laughs> fucked up some masters of unsullied. <laughs> back in the day, but that was like a sneak attack and no one knew that was coming. This is what Drogon is going to have to do for Danny going forward is burn guys who are trying to kill him and kill her and stop them. And he did it. He rescued her. Yeah. He took down her enemies. He, no collateral damage. Great. Masandi, Tyrion, Jorah, yeah. Dario, they're all fine. Small little aside here. Yeah. Shouts to Tyrion for protecting Masandi the way he did. He's a, he's a Great good, stuff. He's a good human being. Drogon also accepted Danny as his rider. That was great. What a moment. And he, he listens to her command to take flight, to go, to right. escape. And really, this is the first time we've ever seen Drogon in any kind of way act as if, okay, I'll let you do this. You know, he, he lowers, after he sniffs her, he lowers the head. She climbs on. He's fine with it. Um, I mean, you recall before at the top of the pyramid on Marine, she reached for him and he was like, OK, I'm out of here. Bye. Yeah. It's a wonderful moment. Oh, it's so great. And the, the way the camera is yeah. kind of positioned, you know, behind her shoulder blades as she's soaring. Yeah. It feels like we're taking flight with yeah. them. What would you want more in the world other than to ride <laughs> a dragon? It's It'd be like, great. man, I watched that scene and I think of Lewin saying to Bran, yeah. you know, right. what child wouldn't want right. to think that. He or she is special. And in that moment, Danny is, and Drogon's a big reason why. And it's just so cool. Super cool. She's in a bad spot, though. We'll get to that in the next episode. <laughs> Guys, please accept this token of our faith. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing the season five 
Finale. 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 Mother's Mercy. Woo. A famous Game of Thrones episode. Yep. Until then, remember, you're the world's best gamblers. And all those bets you won built this podcast. Yeah, Mike, this is his daughter, Marine. I want to talk about the fighting pits today. I went down there. I was arguing with my guy, Dario. Let me tell you something. If a big fighter from from Larash or Mir or something is going to fight a Bravosi, those little, those little guys, the big guy always wins. And Dario's trying to say, these little guys that dance around, they can win. No, there's no way. I've been going to fighting pits since I was 11 years old. My dad used to take me down there. And he'd have the child slaves drag us there. And, and, you know, on our beers, it was great. And I'll tell you, the, the big guy wins most of the time, Mike, okay? I'll take my answer off the line, okay? Thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs>